Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Our guest today is Gina Piccolo. Gina spent a decade on staff at the Los Angeles Times covering Hollywood. Her works have also appeared in Emmy Magazine, Los Angeles Magazine, and The Daily Beast. She's now a counseling astrologer based in Nashville. Our children often help us find the silver lining. It can be illuminating to revisit our childhood and revise it for their ears. Unfortunately, I was not present on this interview, which was a total drag. I could hear them talk, but my mic was not working. So That's how we're going to play this. That's how we're gonna, <laughs> the whole time, Katie just pushed mute. It's like, shut up. <laughs> so then I was like, how about if I text? How about if I just walk away and just let you guys talk? So that's exactly what I did. I walked away. Mm-hmm. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm going to welcome Gina to the show. Hi, Gina. It is so nice to have you be here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Loved your story. Can't wait to share it with everybody. Um, The deal on the show is we love for the writers to give a little bit of context, tiny bit for the listeners, what you're about to read, and then read your piece. Okay, that sounds good. So this piece um, is actually part of a larger work, um, unpublished as of yet, but the actual scene that I'm reading... I did not know was going to be part of my book. I was in the process of writing a childhood memoir. And I don't know uh, what the deal is with little kids, but they kind of have a sixth sense Mm. uh, about it. And, um, you know, my daughter knew I was writing a book. She did not know uh, entirely what was going on with me and how I was having kind of a breakdown while I was writing it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I would put her to bed and, and she just out of the blue started asking me to tell her some stories about my childhood. Um, which was extremely triggering because I was, you know, trying to process all this hard stuff and I just found it really hard to come up with some happy go lucky stories. So, um, at the time I was in a writing group and, you know, I just, I was just trying to write what was going on at the time to process it. And so this just kind of like spilled out, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of editing with this piece. It, It just ended up living, on its own as it came out. And and when I read it in my group, one of the writers in it was was like, wait, what did this really happen? Or like, which part of this did you, I was like, this is exactly how it came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the dialogue is, is really authentic there. Fantastic. And I cannot wait to talk about telling our kids stories from our childhood. So why don't you read it? Okay, here I go. Silver Lining, 2012. Are you and Gammy still in a fight? Lucy was six, and she wanted answers. 
I scrambled for ways to explain a situation I didn't even understand. Well, I said, we're taking a break. My feelings are still hurt. Just say you're sorry, Mommy, she advised. Honey, Gammy and I aren't like you and your mommy, I said. We'll say sorry soon. Don't worry. Though nausea slithered at the thought of that exchange. Soon at bedtime, Lucy wanted stories about my childhood. She would lie on her pillow, her down comforter up to her chin, her blue eyes sleepy but trained on mine, waiting. Tell me a story about when you were a kid. When I was a kid? When you were six or seven or maybe eight. The innocence in her face told me she expected reflections of her own routines and experiences. Stories of bossy girls at school and firm first grade teachers. Stories of rescued baby birds from freshly mown front yards and surprise litters of kittens in dresser drawers. You mean about your age? Yeah. When Lucy invited me to reminisce, my head swam with memories, none of which was suitable for a little girl whose life was content and routine who had parents who never packed suitcases in the middle of the night, driving off into the dark, who had friends she'd known as long as she could remember. Much of my childhood would make no sense to Lucy. She couldn't possibly understand that the years she wanted me to summon, ages six, seven, eight, and nine, were the most confusing, despairing years of my life. Even the bright moments had grown brown along the edges, singed by longing and shame. I knew what she wanted, I knew I didn't have enough of those stories, so I stalled for time. I asked, what kind of story? I thought if I could narrow the possibilities, I could narrow the chances of revealing a sad or chaotic vignette. I could edit out the thorny bits and reframe my experience as one filled with humor and mischief. I could narrow the chances of making a gaffe like I had weeks before, when Lucy had first begun her bedtime interrogations. On that night, weeks ago, I'd grasped at a story from middle school about a sixth-grade cheerleading contest, emphasizing the cold night, the loud gymnasium, my bright yellow uniform, the judges in the bleachers, my pounding heart, an unwavering 12-year-old spirit. My mother's absence from such a pivotal moment didn't occur to me until Lucy asked about it. Oh, she wasn't there, I said, too tired to anticipate the series of questions that would follow. Why not? I could have shrugged, claimed ignorance or bad memory. I could have lied and pretended my mother had been right there in the front row, cheering me on as I received my trophy for best cheerleader. Instead, I opted for the truth. I couldn't think of a worthwhile reason to mislead Lucy. Besides, I was done pretending where my mother was concerned. Well, we didn't live together. Lucy's eyes had gone wide, filled with disbelief. When I held mine steady, reassuring her that it was true, her look turned dark, then deeply sad, filling me with regret. I should have lied, I thought. Instead, I ended up explaining the meaning of the word divorce. Didn't you miss her? She asked me. I saw then how unspeakably tragic my situation looked to her. She didn't know anyone who lived separately from her mother. She didn't know such a thing was even possible. It troubled Lucy so deeply that for weeks after she asked about how someone could get unmarried and speculated where she might end up and who would take care of her if I went away. We talked about how I would never live apart from her no matter what. I pointed out the differences in our lives, hoping it might dispel her fears. Her parents, I said, would never get divorced. Her mother would always be with her. You never have to worry about any of that, I told her. 
but you had to worry about it, she replied, turning away from me. A lot. Yes, I did, I said, but that was a long, long time ago, and I'm okay now. But why didn't you live with your mommy? Well, we live with Papa instead, I said, using Lucy's name for my father. Didn't you love her? Yes, I did, very, very much. You chose your daddy? Well, he had a house for us and Gammy didn't, but we still got to visit her and we talked on the phone. There was no unraveling my story into a straight line. The harder I tried to decipher it for Lucy, the more outrageous it sounded to her. I fell back on the truth again. It's hard to explain, honey. It just worked out that way. Lucy stopped asking about my parents' divorce, but her appetite for my childhood stories increased until every night I found myself forced into the morass of my memory, groping around for the bright spots, that we once lived in a pink house, that we lived atop a hill that overlooked a whole town, that I walked to school every day. But try as I might to build up these other memories, my inner narrative always drifted back to the same dark scenes, as if programmed to retrace the grooves of the same old recording. Tell me a story, she would ask again, about when you were a kid. I scanned my memories again, moving through time chronologically, until I remembered the days after my mother moved out as a sensation, an unrequited nausea, that still quivered when my mind wandered into that time. I remembered riding around the block on the back of a motorcycle driven by my aunt's boyfriend. I offered the ride up to Lucy, the breathtaking feel of it, the way I held so tight to the man's back, the way he turned so quickly on the curves. But Lucy wasn't interested. Tell me another one. I remembered my sitter, a gentle old lady named Mabel, face down on the floor, her body under a white sheet. Come on, Mom, think of something. Okay, I said, deflecting another flash of memory. The scenes came involuntarily, one tumbling after another, as if I pulled the wrong thing out of the closet, and now everything was giving way. Thanksgiving at the highway diner, my father found open, eyes on us as we walked in. I remembered lots of long car rides filled with tension. I remembered my stepmother, the uncertainty that ruled every moment in her presence. I remembered the smell of moving boxes, the way they crowded every corner of our lives. Tell me a story about when you were a kid. We made candy once out of the blackberries in our backyard. You want to hear that one? No, tell me something exciting. How about my first ballet recital? No, something like where you were scared or angry. But I don't want to remember those stories. I remembered the way our bodies fit into that Datsun, all knees and elbows. I remember the jolt when the car hit the paved road. How about the time we took the train from Florida to West Virginia? Lucy's eyes brightened. Yeah! Well, we drove really fast through the country because we were running late. And then we got to the train station just in time. Papa had to get out and stop the train from leaving. He waved his hands and yelled. And so they let us on the train. And then we drove our car right up onto the train. It was amazing. We got out of the car. We had our own little tiny room inside the train with bunk beds and everything. Wow. Yep. We slept all through the night while the train drove through Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina and Virginia. And then we get off in Washington, D.C. And we drove our car off the train with the cat still in the back. We drove all night through the mountains on tiny winding mountain roads where you'd look down and see nothing but a dark cliff. And Papa had to drive very carefully so the luggage wouldn't fall off the roof. 
but he had to go quickly because a huge snowstorm was coming. Really? Yeah. We had to get to our new house before the blizzard came. So we kept driving all night and finally we got there. The next morning when we woke up, everything was covered in snow. The whole world was white. It was so beautiful. We got our snowsuits on and spent the whole day sledding down the hills with our cousins. We made snow angels. And then when we got tired, we came inside and ate grilled cheese sandwiches. Lucy smiled drowsily. Somehow, I managed to get through another bedtime without revealing some awful truth of my past. Somehow, I'd found a silver lining. Love this story so much for many different reasons, and um, I'm so excited you read it. Look, telling those bedtime stories, I I did the same thing with my son. I remember my dad telling me his, so it was something I wanted to do, you know? And um. And I remember deflecting the disturbing stories and the truths that he was just way too young to know about or understand in the same way. And I also had those years that were so hard for you were also my most difficult years, you know. So I relate to this piece beyond. I'm about to weep now. I I was moved to tears, I don't know, several times while you were reading it. It makes you want to read the book because... Of course, we all want to know everything about that time with your mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice to hear. Thank you so much. Um, And and it's interesting because I I actually, I think I end the book with, this is one of the last chapters um, after having gone through all of the the story. Um, But yeah, it it was, it's interesting how kind of motherhood and specifically motherhood with a a daughter, raising a daughter really... Mm forced me into a corner with my own stuff, you know, with Mm. my own childhood. And, and definitely when, um, my daughter got to the ages that were the most triggering for me, I I Mm. was really forced to see, wow, I was really little when a lot of grown up stuff happened. (laughs) And yeah. Because you don't realize how actually young you were until you're seeing your daughter thinking, oh my God, she's a child and it's unfathomable that she would have to experience what I was experiencing at that age, right? Yeah. That still happens to me. And he just turned 17. So. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I mean, my daughter is now 13 and I actually tried to read this story to her and halfway through, she's like, it's just too sad, mom. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And I was like, really? I feel like this is really poignant and actually kind of makes it not as sad, you know, but, yeah. um, she, she has tried a few times now that she's a little older to read some of my book and she just doesn't want to think of my, her mom in that kind of situation, you know, just too hard. Suffering for her, you know? or experiencing heartache like that with her own yeah. parents. I, you know, I, I get that. My, my, my kid yeah. is the same way about the book that I've written. So, and it also shows sort of the different, way we parented, you know, not that I'm patting myself on the back because I've, I've caused him plenty of things to have to deal with in, in adulthood, but right. um, healthy doses of breaking his spirit, it's, right. <laughs> you know, but different ways, you know, because, because we were so sort of sensitive not yeah. to do that same kind of damage anyway. And also exactly. because honestly, having a kid 
Don't you feel it, it? They really are our teachers in so many ways. They are. I mean, the what he reflects back to me without his knowing that he's doing this, obviously, is all about helping me sort of heal those wounds. You know, take a look at them for real. Oh, and- tremendous amount of teaching comes from our kids. I I feel really strongly about that, and you know, um, even when it's about teaching you how to give yourself more compassion. Um, because I think, you know, when you grow up in a, in a difficult situation and, and there's trauma there, you, you just kind of buck up, especially our generation. Uh, There was not as much, uh, sensitivity around feelings. And so you just kind of stuffed it down and, and kept going. And, and in a part of your adult mind, you're like, yeah, it was tough, but I'm I'm fine. You know, I think, the reaction our kids have to some of these stories makes us really say, wow, we, we really did go through something and, um, and no wonder we feel triggered, wounded, shamed, et cetera, around situations like X, Y, Z. Yep. It it definitely is, is helpful to have that kind of innocent perspective that they have. It helps you kind of reframe it. And and I also think just the writing of the memoir was a huge, like a graduate school level self-awareness experience. You know, right. you have to like dig everything out and like bring all of the, the yucky, icky, sticky stuff to the surface. And that process, you know, when I was, when this story actually took place, had really, I mean, I was pretty depressed, I have to say, and mm-hmm. didn't quite realize it. And she was my, you know, little shining light of joy that I was able to say, well, maybe my childhood was shitty, but here's this childhood here that is vibrant and joyful and stable and secure and safe. And mm-hmm. It was so healing just having her and just being her mom, you know? <laughs> I do know, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And, and and I think so many people understand that exact point. But, you know, here's the thing also. You say how healing it was. Today's guest um, on the show, which we're, filming, we're recording this in May, uh, is Jack Grapes. And he's a writing teacher here in L.A. And he did a two-parter for us because his second episode is about taking our pain and making art with it, right? And how you can't yeah. you can't just write your pain. That's what you do in your therapist's office. You know, that's right. that's not art. It's it it that's not going to impact other readers, you know. But there's that extra awareness of you're going through this, you know, you're bringing back up these feelings and you're painting with them. You know, you're actually, you're making something with them that is also beautiful. And so it's a heightened level of awareness as well. And his whole thing is about teaching people to take that and, and write with it. Yes, exactly. And, and those first million drafts I did were just blathering and spilling and, um, of course, (laughs) getting it out. Yeah. And I, I think that I, I do think that like being able to, to create that art with it is um, so grounding. I mean, for me, I think mm-hmm. the biggest the biggest gift that just writing the memoir gave me was as and and at first I came at it strictly as a journalist because I wanted to document what happened to me. Is that I was able to organize it and 
I realized that so much of my own trauma was around not knowing what the hell was going on and for things to be changing so rapidly and so dramatically um, and having no concept of why or how or where everyone was going. And mm-hmm. so for me, as, a, as you know, in the way my mind works, I found it so calming to just do my due diligence and you know, write out the narrative, like create a clear picture of what happened. Uh, and, yes. the, and the truth is even doing that, it, there was, it, it was one of those just messy 70, 70s divorces where the, the, it, it really didn't, I mean, what I discovered was, oh, this is why no one could explain to me what was going on. They didn't even know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. They didn't even know why it was happening. So yeah, I, so I was able to like forgive a lot of people, honestly, because they're human, yeah. and and they and, and also I'll tell you, I don't know if this happened for you, but for me, when I reached certain ages, and I thought, oh wow, my mom was this age when this thing happened that was so devastating to me at seven, or yeah. oh wow, my mom was this age when this was happening to me at eleven, and it was, oh, so she also was young and unevolved and unformed or still forming. And and I could start to accept and understand and forgive based on, oh, she was 27 or she was 31. Okay. Got it. Her level of awareness was limited. Right. We look up at them when we're young and they're God, they're everything. And we expect that they should behave as such. Totally, totally. And and it does it does help to sort of unwind it from the child perspective to that, you know, bring yep. it into the adult perspective. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, the memoir in general is such a um, transformative experience reading and writing. Um, it really is a powerful form. Agree. And I think it goes back to how story is truly in our DNA, you know, and just knowing that we're not alone and and how truly connected we all are and that someone else, you know, to share this human experience is much more profound when it's when we know that this is memoir as opposed yeah. to just a fiction that someone's created. I'm just curious, did you or have you worked out your issues with your mom and did the relationship. So, you know, I think our, my relationship with my mom is on this continuum and we kind of, you know, have gone in and out of relationship. And while I wrote my book, uh, I reached a really clear stopping point with the relationship where I, I just couldn't tell my story if her voice was in my head. And, you know, the whole, the whole catalyst for that piece I read was this huge, huge fight that my mom and I got into um, when I had just started the book. And I realized, yeah, I think I need a break. So we had a very painful separation for several years uh, Mm -hmm. where I just did not, I didn't speak to her. I mean, I would text and email, but, um, but we wouldn't really had, we didn't really have a relationship. And it was in that space that I was allowed to really come to terms with what happened to me. I think mm-hmm. one of the things I spent a long time doing on this book was trying to figure out what happened to my mom. Mm. And um, and I had, you know, numerous friends and teachers say, 
yeah, but what about you? <laughs> Isn't this your memoir? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so because as a journalist, it's so much more comfortable to be the reporter of my yes. life. Just yes. To describe what I observed. Um, and it took me so long to get to what I felt uh, and experienced on that kind of gut soul level. Wow. So, yeah, so it, it was, that was the only way I could do it. And also, um, you know, my mom was triggered in, incredibly by my daughter's presence. And I don't know hmm. that she has even unwound exactly why we, we touched on it very, very briefly. She brought it up saying, yeah, I kind of went crazy. Um, and that was just about all, all we got to with it, but she, wow. she, um, she described it to me once as it was too much for her to bear that our relationship had had so disappeared in my childhood because of her absence and now i was having a child that that it was it was um unbearable for her to acknowledge that that she she would never get that time back with me yeah and the fact that I had a baby of my own was just a, a, a constant thorn in that wound. And so she started to kind of act out in my daughter's presence. And and that was when I said, okay, you, we got to take a break. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so now, uh, you know, she came up to my house and hosted a Passover Seder and we are, mm. you know, definitely, you know, in each other's lives very much now. Um, we don't talk about the book and I don't know if I, when I was sending it out to publishers through an agent, if I was actively, I was actively um, hoping it did not get picked up because- uh -huh. um, I just, I just didn't want to have to deal with the way it was going to affect my mom. Um, oh my God. I, I so relate to that because I thought I have to wait until my mom dies because this book will kill her. You know, just know yeah. if she knew that people were, while she was alive, if she knew people she knew might read this. I, I, it, that I, So I get it. I get it. Yeah. There's a great podcast, by the way, I talked about this on one other episode, but there is a great podcast by this um, Australian writer, comedian named Rosie Waterland. Do you know mm -hmm. about it? No. And the title of it is, she did a podcast based on her memoir. And the, and the podcast was, Mom Says My Memoir is a Lie. And um, she reads a chapter of the book in front of her mother. And then wow. they talk about it. Oh my and, God, I love that. And by the way, hilarious. You know, there are moments where the mom's like, that never happened, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And she's like, yes, it did, oh mom. Of course God. it did. It's fantastic. It really is fantastic. Not that I could have ever done that with my mom because I, my mom would not have been as giggly as as her mom is sometimes <laughs> about some of these deep, dark secrets. But it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. Definitely want to check that out. Yeah. I mean, I I think that um, my mom would, at some point, she might be open to it. I think, I guess I'm just feeling like, you know, it's a little seed that I planted in, in my consciousness and I'm just going to wait for it to blossom. <laughs> Maybe yeah. someday it will turn into something else. Um, and uh, in fact, I'm thinking I have been, as I've sort of changed careers, I have been thinking about digging up some of it to 
use it as a tool to help other people. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Do you want to talk at all about why you didn't live with your mom or no? (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'm sure. Um, So I, let's see, how can I frame this? It took me so many years to um, explain this. And I spent most of my childhood coming up with um, tactful explanations. But my mom lost her mother suddenly. Uh, my, my grandmother passed like over a bridge game. Uh, she had an aneurysm. And it turns out that my mother was so connected to her own mother that she probably would not have even had a family if it hadn't been for her mother convincing her to stay pregnant with me in uh-huh. 1959. Wow. Um, and so when when her mom dropped dead, my mother, who was at the time uh, like 28, 27, had a nervous breakdown. I don't know how else to describe what happened to her except to say right. that she really just lost it. And um, she went to my father and said, look, I need some time away from the family to just get my shit together. Um, I can't do this right now. Wow. Now- at some point there were there were words said that so deeply hurt my dad that he was basically like and he was an italian and very came from a very strong macho home and he was kind of like well then go and don't mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. um and so you know i don't know i spent a long time like years trying to get down to i ordered documents from the courts. I tried to mm. find transcripts from the divorce proceedings. I, I tried to find, I called the attorneys who are like in their, you know, 70, <laughs> don't know who the hell my parents are. I tried to wow. get to the bottom of who, whose fault it was, right? Because like, you're a reporter at that time. Because I was a reporter. I was like, Jesus, what good am I if I can't figure this out? Wow. Um, I still do not know, you know, who to blame except to say they were both in their twenties and, um, my my father was heartbroken that my mother wanted to leave for whatever reason it was. He did not understand that she was grieving. Nobody really, mm-hmm. this was before grief was even a thing. And so, uh, so he basically just said, get out. That's it. You know, if you don't want to be with me, then go. And from there on out, my mom, <clears throat> uh, they came together one more time. And, and at some point, the agreement was, look, we don't have the money for a big expensive divorce in a battle. Why don't, why don't I just, my dad said, why don't I just take custody of the kids? We'll get the divorce and then we'll figure out some kind of shared thing. And in the court documents, it even says this is a temporary agreement. You know, the intention is for them to eventually share custody. Wow. My dad then met someone else uh, Hmm. within weeks and was in love and, you know, in love at that age and mm-hmm. heartbroken, you know, and he decided to, that he was going to just keep the custody, I guess. I don't know. I mean, to, hmm. to be honest, I went back and forth over, over this. It's, it's really muddy as to why the courts did not award my custody to my mother, because that would have been the thing to do in 1976. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, they felt like she was not stable enough. And her father testified against her. Um, My father had a 
had a new wife like right out of the gate and his right. wife looked much more stable than she right. was living in somebody's apartment that she didn't even know some you know what i mean it was like yep uh so yeah so she lost custody that first time and then that basically just she tried to gain custody two more times and wow. they n- never would um re- you know give it back to her um wow and i guess you know my mom just never had a stable enough situation yeah, and she's got to have a ton of grief about that. It's it's still one of the defining pieces of her life. She's still she's still grieving it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I have to say to her, you know, I I just can't talk about it anymore, Mom. You know, mm-hmm. can't. Um, mm. So yeah, it, it was tragic. It was a tragic. It situation. is that it is tragic, and it's still tragic. You know. For for her, you you obviously um, have come to terms in a healthy way, as much as <clears throat> possible. Yeah, yeah, as much as possible. Exactly. God, I could say the same thing. It was so interesting as you were talking about that because divorce is so different now. In in my mm. parents were divorced in the well, I think they were divorced in the early seventies too, but they were separated in the sixties. And I I went to trial. I I oh, was brought. God. To court, I was coached the night before, you know, by this disgusting, sleazy attorney, and um, and and I was brought to the courthouse, and I can still remember sitting outside and seeing my dad approach the doors, and he saw me, and and it was clear he had no idea I was going to be there, and he lost his mind, you know, and he went, he literally physically went after the attorney, grabbed him by the lapels, like held him, you know, in, like in the movies, held him up against this big oh window. Oh my and, God. Yeah. And so I, I didn't actually have to testify because my dad went nuts. Um, and, and, and the whole divorce anyway, my whole divorce, my mom had just, you know, in a nutshell, had gotten pregnant by another man while she was still married to my dad, you know, things like that. Oh. So um, he lost his mind. Anyway, and 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 to the point though, people don't understand that that I lived on a block in a neighborhood where half the neighbors testified for my mom and half yeah. the neighbors testified for my dad, and oh so I God. was never allowed to play with the children whose parents had testified for my dad again. We couldn't be friends anymore. It was crazy. Oh my God! Right, but that was a thing back then. Now it's like there's only one choice: you're getting divorced because of irreconcilable differences. Period. I think that my parents were part of that first wave of um, of no fault divorce in some uh-huh. way. They were literally um, divorced within three weeks, like done, done, wow. separated, divorced, over and done with. Amazing. There was no time for reconciliation. No time to talk about well, what about the kids? It was just like boom. I'm, yeah, and this was in Florida, and I think from the research I did that this was one of the earlier places where the no fault was allowed. Wow. Um, yeah, and 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 that just screwed up a whole generation of of kids. Of um, course, it really did because especially for these people that at the time were getting married right out of college. My parents were yep. almost. I mean, my mom was nineteen when she got pregnant with me, wow. um, and you know. There was no uh, legal abortion at the time, although she could have had an abortion legally, but but she would have had to sign a document that said she was an unfit mother, which ends up being so ironic wow. because that's what the courts declared her anyway. 
Oh, my God. So it was kind of like her karma, I guess. I don't know. Um, But that was a term that I was familiar with at age eight, you know, unfit mother. Oh, my God. What the hell does that mean? Well, this is what why your mom doesn't have custody. She's an unfit mother. Um, and then I remember was, that term, by the way, so yeah. clearly. Yeah, it's that was an old one. And, you know, other people, it, it was impossible to explain this to people like my teachers or the kids at school. So it was just easier to say my stepmother was my mom. So I was living, I felt like this double life because I wouldn't tell anybody that she was my stepmother because we looked wow. enough alike, you know, that we could pass. And wow. Um, that I had to spend only three weeks a year with my mom because she lived in a whole different state. And, and then when we visit her, it, it was just like, she really didn't have much of a life because she was just destroyed by this whole trauma of at that time being losing custody of your children. Like, you know, uh, so there was no really explaining that to people and not being judged. Um, Oh God. Oh God. And especially then too, the shame that she must've felt. Yeah. Well, it's intense. And, uh, and and yet it brought us this fantastic story and I I can't wait to read the book. So I I would just encourage you to revisit, uh, you know, however you want to put it out there. Yeah. I figure it will come, you know, I kind of feel like it's going to, it's going to make itself known in whatever way that it should. I felt really sleazy trying to sell it. I don't know why. It just I felt- totally get that. Yes. Yeah. It just didn't feel like it was wholly mine to sell. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. I'd be exposing my whole family and that was just too much for me. I don't know if that makes me not a brave writer or what. No, because you are a brave writer because you wrote this and you just read us a section. I mean, you just had a long conversation about it. So it's more um, maybe a respectful daughter. Just the success of selling a book wasn't worth it to me to the pain that I would have brought. Yes. That, That was, I had to weigh those two things. Yes, I get that. Anyway, I adored this conversation. I'm sorry Lupe's um, audio didn't work because she would have loved every second of this as well. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, you know, saying yes (laughs) and letting us share your story. Of course. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. That's our show. Take care. Bye-bye. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend. Because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.